to season two of Lightwork Presents Everything is Connected, where we share inspiring stories with artists and art professionals on a wide range of topics, including race, work ethics, inspiration, and the ways in which art influences and is affected by culture. Join us as we continue the journey of sharing the interesting and inspiring stories of some of today's hottest artists and art professionals in the industry. Let's go. On this episode, we're joined by Bonnie Ramirez. Bonnie Ramirez is a self-taught artist who retains a connection to his Dominican heritage through his art, incorporating elements of the Caribbean with his own distinctive details. He left the island when he was a child and migrated to the U.S. Through painting and drawing, Ramirez creates life-sized paper figures onto wood panels. His subjects are bold yet strange, often appearing mysteriously oversized with contorted limbs. Bonnie Ramirez, I'm so excited to have you join me on the show. I've wanted to be in conversation with you for so long, so really, really looking forward to chatting with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. It's definitely an honor uh, to be part of this, and you know, I look forward to a conversation. Let's get started. I've been thinking a lot about your work and about your story, and I think some of the things that are already sort of publicly known about you are the fact that you come from the Dominican Republic, the fact that you're a self-taught artist, the fact that you were brought here under the pretense that you were going to a trip to Disneyland and then yes, sort, of, yes, yes, yes. Right, sort of discovered that yes. you would be moving here. And all of these things, in my opinion, must culminate into how you think about your art practice, how you think about yourself leaving home, the connection to the Dominican Republic, the connection to your culture and your heritage. So with that being said, I'd like to open up with the first question, which is pretty broad. But what, in your opinion, what do you think are the most common misconceptions people have about the Dominican Republic? Oh, that's a a pretty good question. Um, I think I would say... Because uh, specifically, I'm just talking from my personal experience, you know, when I got to this country, there's just like misconception. One of the big stereotypes is that they were very loud. Um, and not only Dominicans, I think people from the Caribbean kind of have that uh, stereotype, you know, like in our, you know, you know, put upon us, especially, you know, when you're like in the U.S. I think that's one of the more like silly ones that, you know, you know, that were loud, literally, like very loud, at least very loudly. Um, also, I would say that we're very disorganized. Uh, that's another one of the like still stereotypes that I would say uh, really bothered me in high school specifically. Um, you know, as I got more used to you know living in, living in America. Um, and there's still you know other you know more things that are a bit more problematic. But um, I would say the, those kind of things of like you know how different we are. Um, also, I would say, and it kind of applies to uh, a lot of the Caribbean that were like hypersexual or like hypersexualized a lot of times in the media or like how we're seen. Like a lot of our dances, for example, uh, are seen as like, oh, how can you be doing this in public when it's like in our country is super normal to be, you know, to like dance that way or like sing that way. Um, and I would say like just like the main ones that I kind of like experience myself, but you know, mm-hmm. they're so definitely like broader. Uh, stereotypes or things that you know people say about Dominicans that is kind of a bit mis- misleading, um, but that also applies a lot to a lot of like the different islands in the Caribbean as well. Yes. Do you think that in your work, though, any of those misconceptions are things that you are thinking about as you're making work, 
Are you thinking about trying to create a different narrative that maybe combats these negative stereotypes? Or is even the idea of the way people perceive the Dominican Republic and the way people perceive Latin Americans or people who identify as, as Latinx, do you think about those things as you're making work? Yeah, 100%. I think um, one of the things with my work, specifically coming into the art world, and realizing there was not a lot of Dominican artists uh, working at the time, you know, now there's a little bit more, and I'm glad that we're kind of a bit, a bit more visible. But when I first started, or even before I became like a full-time artist, I was trying to look for those things. Um, so I think as we have become more visible, you know, uh, I've kind of taken out a lot of times the responsibility of uh, informing people and showing them different ways that were not those stereotypes, for example, or like, you know, throughout, you know, a lot of my work deals a lot with like the history of the Caribbean or like the Dominican Republic, and it helps inform people a little bit of like where we come from and why we are the way that we are a lot of times. Mm. Or sometimes uh, in a lot of my paintings, I talk about like, um, like specific stereotypes that, you know, are upon, upon us and like a visual representation of that. Uh, for example, uh, one of my pieces that was acquired recently by the PAM is called uh, Fiera Views from the Outside. And basically it's like this, like a human animal figure coming down from the tree. And it basically talks about like, you know, for example, how I felt or how a lot of people like um, Caribbean immigrants feel when they come to this country and they've seen as like this exotic animal just like running around. Uh, so a lot of times I, you know, I tackle a lot of those stereotypes in my work. Um, as well as then informing of us, you know, beyond, you know, because I think the thing about with, like the Dominican Republic and the Caribbean itself is that, you know, we're seen as, you know, people only are familiar with the beaches and the resorts. And that's what people always expect when they, you know, hear about the Dominican Republic or the Caribbean. And I think with my work, I try to break that a little bit. We're like focusing more on uh, like our traditions and symbolism and things that really make us who we are beyond the resorts and the beaches and the, and the things, you know? Definitely. Of course, you know, a lot of those imagery is, is important. You know, we have the water, you know, the coconuts, the plantains, you know, the things that kind of, like, make us who we are. Um, but it's about, you know, showing that we are beyond those things while also including those things. Definitely. I want to circle back to what you said about symbols and sort of mm-hmm. um, how you can insert cultural references or potentially historical and traditional references into your work and sort of make the visual language a bit more dynamic and layered and detailed. So what are some of the symbols that you use in your work that that you would say speak directly to maybe the country, specifically the Dominican Republic, or, or, or also just to your sense of your own culture? No, definitely. I think I kind of vary between a lot of times, you know, in my work, I may do like things that are very specifically uh, Dominican life and culture, or something is a bit more broad, you know, throughout the Caribbean. I think, you know, because of colonization, you know, as the Caribbean, we have so many things in common. But because we're colonized, we were colonized by so many different countries, we have, you know, the language barrier that doesn't let us a lot of times communicate all the things that we have, you know, in common. So, I think about my work as this almost like visual thread that binds of the islands as somebody from one island can see the same thing as somebody else through a lot of these symbols. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of those uh, would be like, you know, there's like coconuts or like the plantains, which is a bit more like, um, you know, still throughout the Caribbean, but Dominicans like were known for like, you know, platano power and stuff. Um, but there's sort of, for example, like 
these seashells are a big uh, component of my work when it comes to symbolism. Mm. Um, as well as I would say, I use a lot of like water in my work, you know, like, you know, I, and I, I specifically was more on like the countryside, of the Dominican Republic, but the water, like going to rivers and the beaches was like a common thing for me, mainly the rivers because I had like a river right in front of our house. Uh, but then there's like, um, other different elements that are is more specifically to Dominican life. For example, I tackle a lot of the topic of like rooster fighting, which is like a very popular sport in my country. That's something that I kind of grew up around too. So there's some, some of those specific things. Um, a lot of, for example, my work has a lot of uh, like uh, carnival also like motifs in the work too. Um, and I kind of specify more like the Dominican carnival. Uh, but then there's just a lot of layers that find into other carnivals throughout the Caribbean. Um, so I think in those ways, you know, people can not only feel represented, but, but also expand the narrative a little bit more beyond, like I said, you know, the beaches and the resorts, you know, by tackling all these like more cultural touches, um, you know, in the work and that kind of like helps expand a little bit more. And you kind of get out of this, you know, stereotype of, you know, you know, it's always like beaches and, you know. Because uh, that's another thing that a lot of people see. Um, you know, I think a lot of, which is a, a common uh, problem throughout the Caribbean. Like, of course, we exist and we thrive through uh, uh, tourism. But a lot of times the tourists themselves don't even see us as people there. Uh, it's more of the land and we want to enjoy and we want you to serve us, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think, you know, and especially, you know, uh, as a you know Dominican immigrant in the United States um, and Caribbean art having a bigger, I guess, platform. I mean, it's still so pretty hidden. Uh, but even when I first became an artist, I realized there was not so many of us. I think that's why it was important to include these specific motifs so that the community itself can feel reflected in that. Um, I'll be opening a solo show soon in January uh, with my Spock Bali Gallery um, in LA. Sorry, um, one of which gallery? I about, uh, from Spock Bali mm -hmm, Gallery mm -hmm. in LA. Um, so that's opening uh, uh, January 7th. And one of my biggest like things while working on the show is like thinking about, you know, there's not a big uh, Caribbean community uh, in LA. Um, so I think it was important for me, you know, when we talk about representation to really make sure that it's present there with that show and like with the work itself. Right. Absolutely. And so when you think about um, what you're going to do to sort of activate that or sort of maybe highlight and illustrate the points that the community in LA doesn't have a big Dominican population, but you want to, you want to sort of make people, you want to bring a sort of awareness to the culture. Yes. How, wh what kind of things are you thinking about in terms of what you want to do with the gallery? Uh, for, for example, uh, thinking about this body of work, you know, I make sure to tackle all the different things that my work is about. Because also for me as an artist, it's like a newer introduction as this is my first solo show in LA. Um, so I try to tackle, like, I have, like, a piece that focuses on the more historical part of the Dominican Republic, or I have another piece that focuses more on, like, the more contemporary life in the Dominican Republic or the, the Caribbean. So there's, like, different points that I wanted to, like, uh, not introduce, because I'm definitely not the first one, but, like, reintroduce to, you know, the Los Angeles uh, community and spectrum. Um, and then I... With all of my exhibitions, I'm very. I like to. I like my shows to be very immersive, uh, to kind of bring the viewer into the paintings. If that makes sense. Absolutely. So the exhibition itself is going to be uh, very immersive, where like 
the gallery is going to be a paint a certain color and making like a mural that's going to go with the paintings. And I'll be introducing uh, bigger sculptural works that have like a bigger presence in the space, as well as like literal coconuts, literal seashells that will be hanging throughout the exhibition. That's like a little preview um, that I'm very excited to share. Again, to make people feel like they are part of the painting's world, even though they're all, some of them, are, most of them are very surreal, but they still have like that Caribbean Dominican essence to them. Absolutely. So beautiful. I want to sort of switch gears a little um, and talk a bit about, you know, the sort of nuts and bolts of, of how you became an artist. You know, it's very mm -hmm. publicly known that you're working on a construction site. Yes. And um, I think I read something recently where you, you know, you describe the experience of being a young boy who's watching his mother work really, really hard to take care of you and provide for you. And wanting to be able to support like to help her um mm -hmm. and so you started working but then you were making art on the weekends i i yes. kind of just want to hear like you share how did you go from working on a construction site to making art or just what what were some of the things that actually led you to start you know putting pen to pad as a metaphor yes. right and really yes. just starting to the beginning stages of making mm -hmm. Yes, oh, so definitely. So when I got to this country, I did eighth grade and then high school. I did really good in high school, um, but we just didn't have the means to afford going to college. Like, I just came to this country with my mother and my little brother. Uh, so, you know, I was not going to put that financial burden of going to school. Um, I definitely was very passionate about wanting to go to college, and I did try to apply to different schools, but it just, like, the financial help was not there. Um, and, of course, you know, for me, it was more like, oh, let me just pause this and then hopefully once a bit were a bit more financially stable then go back um in that period of uh my life i would say it was a very dark period i would say i mean because i was like i think very depressed with everything happening just because i felt like i had this like drive to really but i didn't help my family but more get all of these ideas that i have in my head and of course there's a big thing in the art world when it's like you know a lot of these galleries uh now it's a bit more different and i'll explain why a little bit but it, like I would say pre-pandemic, a lot of like galleries or people in the art world mainly looked at people that go to school. They usually go to MFA programs and sculptor artists and stuff. That was the thing then. So just me being an artist without a degree and in New Jersey too, uh, it would seem a little bit impossible or a little bit more, way more difficult to just get my work out there. Um, so for me, uh, like you mentioned, like I just worked construction. That was like my, my job from 2014 all the way to the middle of 20. 20. The middle, um, middle of 2020? On the weekends. Um, yes, yes, yes. That was, that, has, that was literally the only job we had. Um, so the middle of 2020 was right before the pandemic where things changed a little bit. Um, but essentially, yeah, that was like, you know, the work that I did. Uh, I, I used to paint in my kitchen. That used to be like my canvas, the, the countertop. And even though I still used to work wood panels, but it was with the wood that was a lot of times left over from the construction site. And I would just build my own panels and just paint there mm. um, because I couldn't afford, you know, even buying like materials. I just had like some paint left over from high school that we got. Um, or I would go to like thrift stores and buy canvases that I would just gesso over them and then I could paint on top of them. Uh, but with the woodworks, I would just make the panels myself. Um, and then in the pandemic, um, you know, there was a big turmoil, everything, you know, a lot of the gallery shut down and everything. And I guess... When it comes to the art world, there was a bigger focus on what was happening online, because that's the only thing in the pandemic that we had access to. 
Um, and again, for me, I used to apply to a lot of like open calls and stuff that I really never got um, to kind of get my work out there. That was kind of like the only way that I saw of me getting my work out there, like through open calls and stuff. Um, but Instagram came about, it was just, that was kind of my tool to share with the world. I was just like posting and just like, you know, at that point, I would say I personally can tell you that I kind of gave up on being an artist. I was just posting for fun at this point. Because I was like, okay, I'm not going to try to do these open calls anymore. I'm just going to, like, do my little thing and then post, and then that's it. Um, and then, you know, when the pandemic happened, and again, more galleries started to look more on, you know, what was happening online. That's where I was like, um, you know, like a lot of different galleries started seeing my work, and then they started to reach out and stuff. And that's where things started, started to happen. So my first exhibition, quote-unquote, if you can call it that, was online. It was just an online exhibition. As like a little test, you know, it was just like a, the, a, this gallery to have reach out to me and they're like, oh, you know, we're doing this, you know, online show for the first time. Do you want to be a first artist? And then I said, yes, of course, but I had like a bunch of work that I've never shown. Um, and that was my first introduction to the art world. Um, as well, you know, I was able to connect just through social media and the pandemic with like, you know, different curators or like people in the art world, you know, just online. And I think that kind of helped, you know, with the progression of, you know, getting different shows and, like, different group shows and solo, solo shows and stuff. So it's kind of how, that's, like, a general summary of, like, where things got to where I'm, you know, I got. Um, it was definitely, like, a lot of, um, I would say, like, quitting my job in construction was, I was, it was a little hard just because it took a lot of, like, trust in myself to think that this whole artist thing was going to work. Again, because it's not something that's really promoted, you know, in like, you know, immigrant households, like, like artists see like, as a hobby. So it was like a little difficult to explain to my family, look, I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to paint for a living. Uh, so that whole process was very like uh, mentally draining, I would say, because it just, it, it depended a lot on me to make sure that I believed enough in myself to take that step of quitting my job and just focusing on art solo. Uh, and even though I must admit I didn't believe enough in myself as a person, mm-hmm. I believed in my work enough to trust that, that it was going to take me wherever it was going to take me. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't, at least I know that I tried and really just, you know, took that leap of faith to accomplish what I had accomplished. Absolutely. That's uh, such a beautiful sort of story. And I think it speaks to what's very um, common in the immigrant experience, right? I think sometimes... Mm-hmm. If you if you're someone who's born in the U.S. and you're not first or second generation, and you know your your family has been here for several generations, you don't really necessarily think about what it what the experience of coming from another country, building an entirely new life, maybe in part letting go of your culture to assimilate to something new, thinking about always figuring out a way to use the 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 place that you're in for as much opportunity as you can. Um, and so I just feel like what's so beautiful about your story is that it's so unexpected, um, Mm -hmm. that it came completely out of nowhere, especially when you describe that you were ready to give up, you know, I've I've heard a lot of artists speak about, and just a lot of people in general, when they talk about their life story and they talk about their moments of, um, you know, how, how turning points in their life usually came right before something very, very difficult. Yes. Right? Yes, yes, like yes, yes, yes. Hitting rock it's like bottom. The saying, it, it says the saying that says, like, before things get better, they're going to get worse. 
Exactly. And that's something that I tell a lot of people with my story because, you know, sometimes it's difficult to, you know, to tell somebody that's kind of lost hope to tell, no, things are going to get better because it's like a very tacky thing to just tell somebody. And that a lot, of, I felt that way too. A lot of people tell me, oh, things are going to get better. I'm like, no, they're not going to get better. But they actually do get better, you know. And I think, you know, my story is just like something that I literally, you know, lived. And I can tell other people, look, things will get better. Just take time. Just like it's the right time where things will happen, you know. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit now about, um, you know, what your work looks like. Um, If you could, in your own words, if you could visually describe your work, how how would you describe it? I think I have two definitions for that. If it's not somebody in the art world, I would say I make wiggly people. But if it's somebody in the art world that I know is just very annoying about the work... um, Mainly, you know, it kind of, my figures are very, like, anatomically incorrect. Uh, it mainly came from me not being good at proportion. Uh, so when I kind of, I really was passionate about, in high school, being, a, like, a children's book illustrator. So I was, like, that was, like, my thing. I wanted to go to school for that. Um, but, of course, once it did happen, you know, and I, then I thought, you know, I really want to become a little gallery artist. That's where I thought about how am I going to make my work a bit more mature, a bit more serious, uh, and that's where, like, I came across the work of, like, Francis Bacon and then Picasso and, like, all these artists that really, like, play with the human anatomy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, maybe I can do that in my own way as well. Uh, so there are like, these, like, you know, anatomically incorrect figures, you know. I do, like, these quick sketches and, I, and then I imagine in my head, how would these sketches look like, like, this limbs with muscles? And there's just, like, imagine in my head how would that uh, body would look like. Um, they also have these, like, uh, the fingers and, you know, and the toes, like, colorful also, either, like, red or blue. They also, I play a lot with, like, the different pigmentations and, like, the skin. Um, and then one characteristic that's very unique to my figures is the ears are, have, like, it's, like, rainbow colors inside. And they basically come from, like, thinking, you know, how do I, how do I make the Caribbean be part of their anatomy? So the ears come from when you, you know, you open, like, a shell, a uh, clam. And you have all these pearlescent colors inside. But then you separate them and they kind of still look like ears. Um, then I just adapted that to the ears of the, the figures themselves, too. Um, so that's kind of like, I would say, where, like, the, you know, the figures themselves came from. You know, it's definitely, uh, I think a lot of, about, when I do my figures, I think a lot about, you know, how do I temperature different kinds of bodies, different kinds of people, which I think is very important for the kind of, um, you know, where I want my work to be seen or seen by, uh, you know, so I think, you know, really help, you know, uh, diversifying, you know, all these characters and like different body parts and body types. Because, you know, by them not being uh, very like anatomically correct, it makes you question, okay, what's a human? What do we consider human? Because they look like human beings, but they're, you know, there's these figures and people can see different parts of themselves in them as well. Definitely. And I think it speaks... I can certainly say that when I see your work, I think a lot about magical realism. I think a lot about sort of alternative realities. I think a lot about Uh imaginary spaces um, and maybe, you know, that that much of it may be built on a real place that actually exists, Uh but that so much of what I see feels like it's a new world that is like the visuals of someone's mind of someone's endless creativity and imagination. And it's one of the things that really 
for me is so beautiful. And so it, it, it attracts me to your work so much because I feel like it takes me out of my element and it brings me into some, into some new place. Um, but I think one of the things that is sort of, that I'm curious about and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I've seen some of your recent work that feels, uh, very sexual, Yes. which I really like. Um, I find it very appealing, but I'm also sort of curious about maybe some of the potential underlying narratives with the work that you're producing that is of, of a bit more of a sexual nature. Could you talk mm-hmm. to me a little bit about what's happening in some of those particular works? Mm-hmm. No, so definitely, I think, especially like recently, um, I was very like, uh, I think also, I, I'm not sure if I'm growing up in like a very conservative household, I was very like, push you know yes i make a lot of like nudes in my work but they're not or try to not make them feel very sexual recently is where i felt that more i felt a bit more comfortable um with that uh, and i must say as great as it sounds i would have to thank rihanna for that because uh, i think after the collaboration that we did which uh, which i was like very nervous about because i had never uh made a figure to feel like purposely very sexually liberated um, I think that's the first, you know, just working on that project, I was like, okay, it's okay to do it. It's okay to go there. Uh, not only like beyond just like me feeling like a little shy about, oh my God, how people are going to think, but also just like, you know, I, I, I really want to always to my, to my former friends feel very respected and very, um, like, you know, focused. And I, you know, in the beginning, I felt like maybe making a little bit more sexual would make them a little bit less serious. So it was, in the beginning, I was very careful with that. But then as I specifically with this first piece that uh, we did for the Savage Fancy collaboration, you know, it felt so, you know, sexually liberated and I felt a bit more comfortable expressing most, most more things like that in the work. Uh, a recent piece that was shown with Massimo De Carlo Gallery, that's this like guy and like a bed and it's like full of, what's the right word for that? The 213, a steaman <laughs> uh, uh, all over him. Uh, you know, of course it had a lot of like strong reactions specifically from they're following but i think you know just like you know making sure that you know it's okay to be you know sexually liberated it's okay to see this thing and it's okay because we all do it you know that's adults you know uh so there was a lot of like that back and forth with that piece in particular and i think you know and also the show coming up there's going to be a lot more pieces that are going to be focusing more on that as well that are going to be more like you know very strong having that presence uh and it's okay to be sexy um especially for like these different kinds of bodies uh, so it's something that we will definitely see more of um, in the work uh, that I'm very excited to, you know, keep exploring and just, it was also for me getting out of my comfort zone. It was definitely like a challenge. Again, going back to this, that first piece with uh, Savage Fenty, that was a challenge of me mentally like, okay, because I, I, not that I think about my figures as like my kids, but I, I don't want people to talk, to attack them or like to, you know, do, uh, you know, say things about them or like, uh, sometimes I go also as an artist to, like I may have one thing in my head, but how many other people interpret it is different. And mm-hmm. I, a lot of times I don't have control over that. And I think I've become more okay with, yes, I have a, a meaning from my work. This means this, but if you interpret it that way, that's on you. That's not on me, but I will tell you what this works mean. So, mm-hmm. you know, and don't make any other assumptions or make other different things. Uh, so no, I'm definitely excited to keep exploring more of that as well in the work. And just, you know, I guess it feels more humanized. It feels, it feels like I'm giving the figures a bit more like that human touch or like that human affection that I think for a long time they lacked. 
Mm, you mean through the sexuality? Yes. yes interesting. Yes. Interesting. I think this is a good time to sort of segue into like, you know, the final question of the episode and kind of wrap things up. But you spoke mm-hmm. a bit about challenging yourself. You spoke about the brand collaboration with Rihanna and Savage X Fenty. And I think it's really a good time to kind of ask you, as you look to the future and as you think about continuing your art practice and your art career, what are the ways in which you would like to continue to challenge yourself as an artist and how, and what are the ways in which you would like to continue to grow as an artist? Yeah. So that's, that's something that I really think about a lot. Like, you know, like, uh, that's like the tricky thing with a lot, with a lot of us artists now, nowadays, like we're so young and we're like going so fast that it can kind of like, um, make you like slow down a little bit when it comes to experimenting more because you get so you know stuck in like the same thing and also being so busy that you have not, you don't have much time to experiment but i think you know looking forward with my work i definitely see myself being a bit more sculptural uh in the few coming years i do see myself probably being a bit more minimal probably or like you know this you know just like the su- either super minimal or super maximalist uh either or would be like where i would have kind of head um, definitely, uh, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about, uh, even though it was a medium, I'm like, I would never try, but I, I do want to do like a movie at some point, like an art mm. film. Uh, but it's just, I just have to like, you know, have the right space and the right budget for that. Uh, but that's probably like in the next, like, uh, probably like five years from now or something. Um, I do want to get into ceramics again. I think. I used to make them a lot, but ever since I became an artist full time, I haven't—I probably have never even shown any of my ceramic works. And I think that's something that is good for me to reintroduce people. That's another medium that I—it was kind of—I there was a point that I prioritized ceramics more than painting. Uh, that I just make ceramics and that's it. Um, so that's something that I want to reintroduce people. And I think, but I would say definitely sculptural works or a lot of like mixed media aspects of the work. I think I still keep. In, in mind of like how do I because a lot of my paintings have a lot of like sculptural elements into them like either like swords and knives or like shells and stuff so I, I keep ch- I want to challenge myself into how how what else or how more what and what other way I can make the paintings feel a little bit more sculptural uh, as well so that's kind of where I see myself uh, professional wise you know I hope you know um, but, you know, of course, you know, it's going well for somebody that's just been in this for two years. Uh, so, you know, I do hope to be a little bit more established. I do hope to have a bit more like more like an institutional shows like I love, you know, museums. <laughs> um, so I do I do see myself, you know, being there a bit more or like having that more like institutional presence a bit more than what I already have. Um, so, you know, I think the future is very bright, you know, but I think just going through, you know, the hardships that I went through in the beginning made me appreciate more and more where I'm at today because at some point in my life I didn't think any of what I'm doing today was going to be possible uh so I you know lately I've been taking things one thing at a time and really like trying to take big things in and really appreciate you know the things that have been coming I think in the beginning of my career I think I want to just have it all like I want to do a million shows and I've been doing things but I think as time progresses, I realize, no, it's better to take it slow. You know, you're only 26. It's okay to take your time with different things. So I think, you know, I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot, not only as an artist, but I think as a person, 100%, um, you know, as I become, you know, this artist-like thing. 
I love that. This has been such a beautiful conversation. And it's so crazy to me sometimes how much ground you can cover with someone in 25 or 30 minutes. You know, I, I feel like we, we already really kind of talked about a lot of stuff. So I just want to say thank you so much for joining me on the show. It was a pleasure to talk to you, as it always is a pleasure to be in conversation with you. And I just wish you nothing but more success in the new year. And, thank um, you. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much, and I appreciate, you know, the talk and everything, really great questions as well. Uh, and thank you also you for giving artists a platform to talk about our work as well. Because I think, you know, a lot of things get lost in translation, or a lot of times we don't have, like, a, uh, you know, that way of, like, communicating to, like, a bigger audience. So I think thank you for doing what you do. Um, and I look forward to, you know, seeing both of us grow in the future. Same. Same here. So good to chat. Thank you, thank you. I'm going to turn thank off so the recorder. Much. Yes. That was our episode with Bonnie Ramirez. I want to give a big shout out and a big thank you to Bonnie for joining us on the show. And it's a wrap, folks. That's our episode of Lightwork Presents Everything is Connected. Conversations on culture and current events with some of today's hottest creative contemporaries. These episodes were recorded in between New York and Miami and reflect the times we are living in while also adding some commentary to the social, cultural, and political issues of the past year. I'm your host, Fola Shade Ologundudu, and we'll see you next time. As always, stay motivated, stay inspired, and stay up. Peace and love, y'all. We out.